kind of tell you where this series is going to end before we start. Two weeks from today is Labor Day weekend. I know that many of you have plans, and I encourage you to change those plans and be in church. Uh, And the reason is because two weeks from today, after having talked about worship for two weeks, we're going to have a a night of worship in the morning. Uh, And usually we have worship nights in the evening, and it's this great thing, and it's like a couple hours of of music and and, uh, really just offering our hearts up to the Lord. Well, we want to do that uh, to some degree, but we want to place it in the morning. Uh, So our Sunday morning service will be filled with lots of music, times of prayer, reflection, uh, confession, Uh, just sort of integrating all of the ideas that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. And so it's going to be a special service, and we encourage you to be a part of it a couple weeks from today. So uh, so that's, uh, I want to kind of let you know where we were headed before we got started. But uh, if we're going to start a series on worship, we have to begin with what is worship. We have to understand what in the world we're talking about. And uh, there are there are as many definitions of worship as there are people in the room today. If I were to go to each one of you and ask, what is your definition of worship? My, my guess would be that, that all of you would have something similar to say, and yet all of you would have something very different to say. And, and so there's lots and lots of definitions of worship and what worship is out there. Some are really long. Some try to, uh, try to capture the heart of worship in, in one word. And I have found a definition, a sort of a working definition of, of worship that I really like and I want to give to you as a, at the very beginning of our, of our worship series. And, and worship is this. Worship is ascribing worth and then giving allegiance. That is to say that when we see the worth of something or someone, we ascribe our worth to it or we, we say, indeed, you, you do have this worth or this weight or this glory or are deserving of this honor. But, but we can't just stop there. If we're to truly worship and, and, and to ascribe worth, then we also must go on then to give our allegiance. And so worship is ascribing worth and then giving allegiance. Worship is often misunderstood uh, to be something quite narrow. Uh, that is to say that it's probably pretty misleading that whoever plays the guitar and sings up front, we call the worship leader. Uh, because that has built a culture in the church that has understood worship as being only or primarily music. Uh, sometimes people have a, a, what they feel like is a very broad definition of worship. And, and they understand that, that listening to a sermon and hearing the word of God is worship. To that I say, Amen. And so some people are like, well, no, 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 it's not just the music. It's actually everything that happens in the church. That, that any time that we're, we're praying or, or receiving the elements of communion or listening to the word of God, this is all worship. And to, to that I would say, absolutely. But worship is actually even much wider than music or even going to church. It is much broader than that. It is everything and anything that we do in our lives that ascribes worth, and then gives allegiance. And so worship and and our idea of worship and worship itself is much broader than we have previously thought. And of course, as the people of God and as Christians, we want to direct our worship to God. That we want to see the worth of God 
and then give him our allegiance. And I would contend with you and I would want to say to you today that the part of our goal every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning when we gather together to the, on Sunday mornings, part of our goal is to help you see the worth of God. That is to say that, that our hope is that when you come to church here, that all the different elements, whether it's a video that's shown, the songs that are played, uh, the, the sermon that is, that is presented, everything that we do, I hope will lead you to see the worth of who God is. To see Christ in a clearer light. That, that, the, that the character of God might be just a little bit unveiled as you come to worship with us. And so worship is ascribing worth and giving allegiance. And we want to direct our worship to God. But did you know that, did you know that God does not need our worship? But that we need worship? That we are actually the ones that need to worship God? In other words, let me say it to you this way. Worship is not for God's benefit. It's for your benefit. That isn't to say that God does not desire worship. Of course, Scripture talks all about how God is, is a jealous God and that he desires our worship. He desires to be in relationship with you. He wants to draw you in. God enjoys our worship, but, but he doesn't need it. God is complete in and of himself. And so when it comes to worshiping on Sunday morning, we have to ask, who is the primary beneficiary of our worship? And it is us. It's what happens in our hearts as we worship together. God is complete in and of himself. So worship isn't for God's benefit necessarily as much as it's for our benefit. Let me say it to you this way. He, God, he doesn't desperately need what we have. We desperately need what he has. He doesn't, need, he doesn't desperately need what we have, but we desperately need what he has. And so worship then is an invitation to enjoy God. Have you ever thought about worship that way? Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes we see worship as like this thing that I like got to go do, right? Like, oh, I got to go worship. It's 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Oh, oh I got to go worship because I haven't in a while. Right, but, but actually worship is not sort of this task to be completed. It's not an event that happens as much as it is an invitation to come and enjoy the presence of God. To which I would ask you, do you love coming to church? I hope you do. I do. I love coming to church. It's, it's, it's one of the highlights of my week. It is the most exhausting day of the week for me. But it is absolutely the day that I look forward to. I love to come together with all of you. I love to sing. And uh, I didn't know this, but apparently it's part of the culture of this church that regardless of where you're sitting in the sanctuary, you can hear the guy that sits right here sing. I didn't know that, but somebody said, I sit in the back corner and I can hear your voice bouncing off the wall over the, 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 the PA system that the worship team is playing through. Right? I love coming together with all of you and, and raising our voices in worship and hearing from God. But worship is really an invitation to enjoy God. If you want to enjoy God, we need to learn to see him for who he is, for he is worthy. 
And then we need to give him our allegiance. And you know, there are some, there are a lot of people who don't enjoy God. And that's primarily because their relationship with God is centered on trying to manipulate him for their own benefit. That if I can manipulate God through, through saying the right prayers or, or behaving the right way or making some sort of deal or bargain with God, God, if I do this, then you'll do that and all of these things. And we try to enter into this sort of manipulative relationship with God. That person has a real hard time enjoying God for who he is. Because they've entered into this sort of manipulative relationship with God. Or, or they've tried to reduce God to a formula or a robot. That, that if I do this, and then this, and then this, then it will always equal a particular outcome. And, and when we relate to God in these sorts of ways, it's very difficult to truly enjoy him. Are you with me? But when we see God for who he is... And then we offer up our allegiance to him. Then we are in a position to enjoy his presence and to enjoy who he is and to enjoy his community. And so that's what worship is. And we like worship to be personal. We really like worship to be personal. So some people like to go to the mountains and when they're in the mountains, they feel the presence of God. And and, and some people are like, I just went to the mountainside church this morning, right? Because I love the mountains. That was a joke, very under the radar. You had to be awake to catch it. So clearly, I'm not not saying anything, I'm just saying. All right, so you with me? So, So some people, we like worship to be intensely personal. Some people go to the mountains, they feel his presence. Some people are like, oh, I hate mountain roads, you know? And how could I ever go to the mountains to enjoy his presence? And some people worship through, through Sabbath and quiet and, and reflection and, and journaling. And some people are like, I can't worship if it's not cranked up to 10. You know, like I need, the, I need some volume and I need praise. And, uh, and, and we just, we really like our worship uh, to be personal. And so all of us have these sorts of ways that we like to, to see the worth of God. Some of us will, again, look at, at the created order and that will speak to our hearts, that will resonate in our hearts and, and speak to us about the worth of God and the majesty of God and his, his power through creation as it's displayed. Others, others of us will, will look at that and not see that so much, but, but, but we like our worship to be personal, but almost everyone worships through music. Which, of course, has given birth to what is known in the church world as worship war. Worship wars. How many of you have ever heard that term? Anybody ever heard that term? Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Nobody. Let me tell you about worship wars. Nobody. Wow. Worship wars are uh, when, when everybody's personal preference regarding the music in church clashes and leads to conflict in the church. That's a worship war. And uh, by and large, the modern church is, is, is sort of over the worship wars. But 10, 15 years ago, worship war was just a part of every church. If you were in North America, you were in the middle of a worship war 10 or 15 years ago. And it was when we, the church was sort of making a shift and introducing a lot of the instruments that we uh, enjoyed this morning. But, but here's why... Worship wars have been such a part of the church in, in, in the years previous. It's the personal nature of, of how we prefer music in a corporate setting 
How are we to worship corporately in the midst of all of our personal preference? Like we like worship to be personal. We want worship to be personal. Worship is intensely personal. Uh, And yet at the very same time, worship is also very corporate. That we gather together every week in order to bring our worship corporately. But all of us to the corporate setting bring our personal preferences And that was a real sticking point for the church for a long time. And so uh, worship wars were what happened when the musical style in churches began to change. And so uh, if you, a lot of people believe that if you had music that had drums in it, then the music wasn't sacred. And if it repeated a, a chorus or a line uh, a few times, then the, the song wasn't meaningful. Or on the other side, if you uh, used an organ, lots of people thought, oh, this is dull and boring. And, and, and there were just lots of fights in uh, over personal preference of, of music. Now, now that I've described worship wars, how many of you have ever been in a church where you experienced something similar to that? All of you, right? Just about all of us. I mean, it's like, what are we supposed to do when we bring our personal preferences into the corporate setting? Now, I'm not here today to talk to you about a worship war because this church isn't in one. And a lot of churches aren't anymore. But we still continually must walk the fine line of how do we worship corporately as a body and also personally. So what I want to do during this series is I want to talk to you today about personal worship. And then I want to talk to you about corporate worship. And then we're going to integrate those two on, the, on Labor Day weekend with our night of worship in the morning. And we're going to explore some ideas of what it might look like to worship both personally and corporately in a setting. But, but let, me, uh, let me offer you just a few more uh, points of perspective when it comes to the worship wars that were so real in the church. Uh, it isn't a new thing. A lot of people thought, oh, worship wars are like this new thing. The modern church must struggle through it. And it's something that is just totally unique to the modern church. And that simply is not true. Worship wars have been going on for a long time. Uh, how, about, um, how about the Protestant Reformation? That is a worship war. It's like, this is how worship is happening. This is how the church is expressing itself. And then Martin Luther has 95 reasons why that's not right. He nails them to the cathedral door. And then all of a sudden, we've got a, a Protestant Reformation. If you're a Protestant today, which you're in a Protestant church this morning, and you were to break that word down, it's a protestant, one who protests, right? Worship wars are not new. And then actually when, when the most recent worship wars were happening and we were like trying to coming away from the age of the hymn and moving into the age of the chorus, these are like grotesquely large terms that have much more meaning, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, when we kind of moved away and then this, these, what were so considered to be so sacred for a long time, the hymns of the church, when they were introduced to the church, a lot of the melodies were borrowed from bar tunes. And so when they were introduced in the church, it was a worship war. And so worship wars aren't anything new. But we have to begin to understand how can we marry these two of personal and corporate. Theologian D.A. Carson asked the question, are we worshiping worship rather than God? Are we worshiping Worship, the idea of worship, the practice of worship, the worship setting, the Sunday morning experience. Are we worshiping that more than we're actually worshiping God himself? So personal and corporate worship are distinct, but they're deeply connected. Here's what I want to say to you 
as sort of an opening comment to, 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 to lay the foundation for this series. If you come to the corporate worship experience, having worshipped personally throughout the week, you won't be as concerned that every song and style and volume, etc., meet your personal preference. Let me say that again. If you come to the corporate worship setting, having worshipped personally throughout the week, you won't be as concerned that every song, every expression, every prayer, every sermon fit your exact preference. Or to state it more directly, let me say this. Too many times we depend on the corporate setting to express personal worship. Do you hear me? Too many times we depend on this setting, the corporate setting, to express our personal worship. And if that happens, if we are depending solely on the Sunday morning experience, the Sunday morning corporate experience to to express our personal worship, then of course we're going to be angry, upset, frustrated, disgruntled, whatever kind of word you want to use when that worship doesn't meet our personal preference. I didn't like that song. Volume was too loud. The sermon did not have three points that all start with the same letter and I got to fill in the blank. Right? I mean, I'm not just talking about music. I'm talking about everything. If we depend on the corporate setting to express personal worship, then we are always going to be rubbing up against our personal preference and you will never find a church that meets all of your personal preferences on a Sunday morning. You just won't. And so... And I know this is true because I see it. I see it when, when the opposite is true. I see it when, when men and women, having worshipped personally throughout the week, can come and express worship corporately regardless of what's going on. Because a congregation that is in the middle of worshipping personally throughout the week is very easy to lead in worship on Sunday morning. You see what I'm saying? That the corporate setting is almost an expression of the personal worship that happens throughout the week. And, and I see it in this. I, I see the, the gentleman who is a few years down the road and he comes to worship and you know that he does not prefer the style of music that is being played. But having worshiped during the week, He can celebrate all the people that are here and gathered together to worship. He can read the words to the song and worship with the community despite his personal preference. And he can pray for the people of the church while the music is being played that he doesn't like. If you you show me a guy who can enter a setting where he doesn't like the volume, he doesn't like the style, but he can sit there and read the words and he can pray for the community while the songs are being played and he can celebrate all the people that are here to worship together. And I will show you a guy whose heart is deeply connected to God throughout the week. You show me a young person and I'm using generic stereotypes here. You guys understand that. But show me a young person who, having worshipped throughout the week, can come to church and not get bent out of shape when a hymn is played and when the piano comes out instead of the keyboard. Right? 
and who can celebrate the heritage, the rich heritage that we have in the church and in this church. You see, corporate worship and personal worship, while distinct, are intimately connected. And what I want to get across to you today is that you cannot depend on the corporate setting to express your personal worship. We must worship outside of these walls. We must offer up allegiance to God on days other than Sunday. And, and we must also do things that allow us to see the worth of God and see who God is throughout the week so that we can come together from every corner of this city, every walk of life, every personal preference, every different faith background, and we can come together in a beautiful blend of God's people and offer up praise and worship. Whatever the sermon is like, whatever the music sounds like, whatever video is played, whatever the lights are on or off or whatever or whatever or whatever, we can gather together and worship. Are you with me? That's the beauty of the church. And so, what I want to do today then, and some of you are like, that was the introduction? Yes. What I want to do today then is very quickly walk you through three principles of how to improve your personal worship, right? I've just set the foundation, personal and corporate, they're connected. And so how do we walk through uh, some, some tips of how to worship personally? And then guess what I want to do next week? Next week, we're going to have all kinds of fun. Next week, I am going to give you tips on how to come to church. Isn't that fun? It's fun for me. It doesn't sound like it's fun for you, but I'm going to give you tips on how to come to church, and it's going to be Phenomenal. So don't miss next week. But today, uh, what we have before us is three principles of personal worship. And I want to use it out of the life of David. Let me give you a little bit of, about who David is. David uh, was a king over Israel. He was a tremendous warrior. Uh, but he was also a phenomenal poet and a prolific songwriter. A prolific songwriter. In fact, he is the most prolific songwriter in the history of the church. Uh, that is to say that Chris Tomlin has nothing on King David. Um, so if you don't know who Chris Tomlin is, he wrote almost every song we sing on any Sunday morning in any church, always and forever. Um, but, but Chris Tomlin can't hold a candle to King David in terms of songwriting. Half of all the psalms are attributed to David in some direct way. And many others are attributed to David in an indirect way. Uh, in other words, they're influenced by David. Uh, so David wrote half, either with his own hand, with his own pen, or through direct influence. And then many others were sort of indirectly influenced by David. Asaph, who wrote 12 psalms, was appointed by David. Uh, the sons of Korah, which is a family of worship leaders, wrote 11 songs. They also were appointed by David. King Solomon, David's son, wrote two psalms. And so psalms, almost every psalm is connected to King David in some way. And you know what psalms are? They're songs. These are the songs of the ancient church. If you want to know what the ancient church used to, to sing together, we don't know what the music sounded like. Probably uh, harps and lyres. Uh, and, uh, you know, if I could show my musical ignorance, I don't even know what a lyre is. I just know lyres go to hell. But anyway, so, I mean, probably different musical expression, right? But we have the lyrics, and they're the book of Psalms. Uh, and, and so it's this beautiful expression, which is why I love when modern songwriters 
don't write lyrics. They just put new music to psalms because these are the songs the church has sung for centuries and centuries. And so they are some of the most intimate prayers and testimonies and cries out to, to God and for God to intervene in our lives. And I love the Psalms because they are so, um, so personal. But, but here are three things to improve your personal worship. The first one coming out of the life of David is we have got to prioritize worship. We've got to prioritize worship. Listen to Psalm 27, verse 4. It says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. What is David saying? He's saying, if I could, I'd spend my whole life in the church. And some of you are like, oh, good night. <laughs> right? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, we didn't, they didn't have the, the Holy Spirit that had been poured out among all people that we all might enjoy the presence of God living in our own hearts. In the Old Testament, the, pres- the, the presence of God had a specific location, and that was in the temple. It was in the church. And so David saying that the desire of my heart is to spend all of my days in the house of the Lord and to dwell in his temple is a way of saying that he desires the continual presence of God. That over and above anything else in life, he wants to prioritize the presence of God. The presence of God. And that just, that just oozes the priority that David had of worship. That given all else, the one thing he would want is to prioritize the presence of of God to gaze upon the beauty of his presence and to, to see his worth. And, and I want to say something to you today that I hope will um, open your eyes a little bit. And that is this. We all worship all the time. Do you know that? A lot of times we say, oh man, you know, worship, right? I said this already as part of this sermon. Worship just isn't, isn't just music, man. You got to go out there and worship. But I want to help us understand that all of us worship all of the time. If you could go back in history as far as you can go, there is one thing that has been part of every culture from every part of the world, regardless of background, language, or anything else. There is one thing that is consistent, and that is Worship. Every people group through the entire history of the world has practiced some sort of worship. It is inherent in the human condition to desire to look to something greater than ourselves and offer our allegiance and our praise and our worship to it. The question is who or what are you worshiping? In our culture right now, one of the most powerful narratives that invites people in and calls them into into participation of the narrative, the worship, the God, is the God of celebrity. This is absolutely prolific in our culture because of YouTube. YouTube promises that if you put something out there, there is a possibility that overnight you could be famous and be a celebrity. And our culture right now is totally drunk on the God and worship of celebrity. I mean, it's just like, you go into the junior high. Junior highs, right? I got some amens from some band teachers, right? You go into the junior highs, 
And what do the 12, 13, 14-year-old girls want to become? A celebrity. That's what they want. That is the number one drive of their life is to be famous. And so we're all worshiping. The question is who or what are we worshiping? And so when I tell you to prioritize worship, I don't mean go out there and worship more. What I mean to say is make sure the direction of your worship is to one who is actually worthy and to one whom we can trust with our allegiance. Does this this make sense? That's what I mean to say when we prioritize worship because we all worship, but we need the direction of our worship to be going to God who is the only one who's worthy, the one who is both good and powerful and thus trustworthy with our allegiance. We've got to direct our worship and prioritize our worship to him because the truth is that not only do we all worship all the time, but the reality is you become like what you worship. You take on the characteristics, you take on the character, you take on the values of that which you worship or whoever you worship. You begin to reflect them, which is why the call of the Christian faith is to begin to reflect God into a world and into a culture that doesn't worship him. Our role as Christians is to give our allegiance to God, become like whom we worship. That isn't to say that we become God or that we can be God one day, but it is to say that we reflect the character of God to a culture that celebrates and worships something and someone totally different. And that's the role of the church. That's why Jesus says we're called to be light and we're called to be salt and we're called to be a city on a hill and we're called to be all of these things. It's, it's a call to reflect God to a world that doesn't know him. And so that's what ultimately worship is and we must prioritize worship. Here's, here's, some, uh, here's some really like sort of ground level advice on how to prioritize worship in your life. Some of you, when it comes to prioritizing worship, and I would call the corporate worship gathering a great way of prioritizing worship, like get to church, gather with the community is a great way to prioritize worship. But let me say this. Some of you need to make the shift when it comes to prioritizing worship in your life from good intentions to being intentional. Some of you need to make that switch. Because I, I meet with a lot of people, and you would, not, you would be shocked at the amount of people that I hear that have really good intentions, but never of, of prioritizing worship, of I'm going to explore this Christian thing, I'm going to do this Christian thing, I walked away, but now I'm going to do it, and I'm going to get to church, and I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to do this, do this, I'm going to join a life group. Good intentions, but they never shift in their life from the good intentions to being Intentional. And listen, church, if you want to prioritize worship in your life, if something about that resonates in your heart and you're like, yeah, I've been drifting off. I've been I've been so tempted to worship something else or someone else or just my heart is the allegiance of my heart is being given away to another narrative other than the gospel. And I need to prioritize worship. You have got to come up with a lot of good ideas, good intentions. But you've got to move those good intentions into being intentional. So I want to get to church more. That means find a job where you don't work on Sundays. 
I want to, I want to join a life group. That means join a life group. <laughs> I'm trying to make it as easy as possible, right? I want to grow in my faith. Go to the 201 growth track class, right? This is not a commercial for church. Some of you are like, oh, that's just a nice way to promote all the things in the church. Listen, why do you think we have the things of the church? Because we're trying to be intentional about providing you with opportunities. All you have to do is be intentional about taking those opportunities. And so if you really want to prioritize worship, there's got to be a shift from good intentions to being intentional. Are you with me? Two of you are. Let's move on. (laughs) The second thing. So first one, prioritize worship. Second thing is develop a praise habit. Develop a praise habit. Uh, Listen to Psalm 59, 16 through 17. I will, but I will sing of your strength. And in the morning, I will sing of your love. For you are my fortress and my refuge in times of trouble. You, Lord, are my strength. And so I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God in whom I can rely. Those are tremendous words of praise coming from the mouth of David. And and, and actually, I could have picked out dozens of psalms that are just laced with praise and praise and praise and praise. And every now and then you get this really honest psalm where it's like, God, what are you doing? And stop doing it. But there's only one psalm that I know of, Psalm 88, that does not end, even when it's like, God, what are you up to here? Even when David's in the middle of real intense difficulty, there's only one psalm that I know of in all all of the scriptures that doesn't end with, yet I will praise you. And yet you are good. You see, what I want... What we need to do, if we're, gonna, if we're going to prioritize personal worship, if we're going to become better at personal worshiping, then we've got to develop a praise habit. Because so many of our personal lives and our, and our walks of faith and our acts of worship to God are dependent upon our circumstances, right? And so if things are going really well, then all of a sudden I don't feel the need to pray and I just proclaim God is good and I, and I praise him. When things aren't going so well, all of a sudden I feel like I need to pray so that God can come through and then, and then I declare that God is no longer good because he, he's allowing this thing in my life. And we're always just sort of swishing and swashing back and forth with the, with the way of our circumstances where the scriptures tell us that if we're going to become real worshipers, if we're going to give our allegiance to God, then we need to develop a praise habit. And a habit means that whether things are going really well or things are going really poorly, I'm going to offer my praise up to God for he is good regardless of what's going on in my life. God, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And yet I will praise you. And yet I will praise you. That's a great, great habit to get into. And here's why. Worship reinforces our allegiance to God. Do you know that? When you worship God, 
despite your circumstances, when you offer up allegiance to him, when you pray, when you read your scriptures, when you journal, when you Sabbath, when you go into the mountains and enjoy his presence, when you do whatever you do to express your personal worship, you know what it does in your heart? Is it reinforces your allegiance to God and the gospel. And it makes all the other lies of the culture and all the other temptations of the culture be seen for what they are. If you don't have a praise habit, you're going to be easily drifted into another form of worship. You're going to be swayed by another temptation. But if we can develop a praise habit and praise God through every circumstance, then it's going to consistently reinforce that our heart belongs to God. Are you with me now? And so we, if, we're, if we're going to become good personal worshipers, we've got to develop a praise habit. I get really nervous when people who are going through a really hard time in their life and then because of that hard time, they decide to take a break from church. I get really nervous when that happens. Because, and listen, I understand. Because I've been there, I've walked through a difficult time where Amy and I were like, I just don't know if I can walk through the doors of a church. Why? Because they're gonna keep asking me about it. And what I need right now is healing not consistent conversation about the difficulty. And so I I know, and I've been there, and I know the reasons why, but let me just say to you today that if you're walking through a difficult thing and your temptation is to take a break from church, you are placing yourself in a vulnerable, vulnerable position because worshiping together as a community reinforces our hearts of allegiance to God. And when people ask you about your difficulty... I know you don't want to talk about it, but they're doing it out of love. Wouldn't it be worse to be a part of a community where you were walking through something difficult and nobody said anything? I mean, I know it's hard. I don't want to talk about it, and I need healing, and I just don't want it to be the consistent thing of conversation. And I don't want to be defined by my struggle. I understand that. But wouldn't it be worse? be part of a community where nobody said anything when you were walking through that difficulty. And so I encourage you do what you can to stay connected to the people of God. Prioritize worship. Develop a praise habit no matter what is going on in your life. The third principle that I want to share with you today is that the highest form of worship is obedience. The highest form of worship is obedience. For this, I want to look at uh, the life of David a little bit, but I want to also go to the teachings of Jesus. Jesus in, in, in John chapter 14, verse 15 says to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commands. I like the old school translations a little better. It says, if you love me, then you'll obey me. And, you know, probably, you know, we just got to where that was, like, too offensive, and Jesus is supposed to be just a really nice guy, and so, you know, we, we, we just translated it differently. But, but if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. The highest form of worship is obedience. And uh, I would want to ask you the question today, can you say an easy yes to God? 
Like when, when God calls you, he directs you, he speaks to you, he convicts you, he, he points something out that needs to change in your life, something that you need to stop doing, something that you need to start doing, uh, whatever it is, when God speaks to you, do you have an easy yes to God? Because the highest form of, of worship is obedience. And, and I would want to become, I, want, I would want to get to a place in my life where there's just an easy yes. Like, I'm just certain that God is calling me to do this or asking me to do this. And I've, I've, I've checked with scripture. I've talked to a trusted friend. I've done all these things to make sure that it's like the Lord speaking to me and calling me to do this and not just some weird idea that I had. But, but it's actually, this is like the Lord calling me to do it. And I've done all those checks and I'm certain that God is calling me to do this. And then do I just, I just have an easy yes. Yes, Lord. Because that is really the highest form of worship, is obedience. And you'll find that obedience leads to more obedience. That that as we walk in obedience, obedience becomes easier and easier. And that's what it means to give allegiance. Give allegiance is offering up my entire heart to the God who is both powerful and good and can be trusted. And if I can offer up my whole heart, then I'm going to begin to walk in his ways. If I'm going to give my allegiance, then I'm going to be obedient to who he is and to what he wants in my life. And so one of the best ways to show God that you love him is to walk in accordance with his ways. And then some of you that know the life of David will say, well, I mean, David's not a true worshiper then, man, because because David committed adultery. And then, to make matters worse, he committed secondhand murder. I mean, he didn't, stab the knife but it was his doing to cover up the adultery i mean i mean let's like like i've never murdered anybody and i've never committed adultery you might say so how can you speak about obedience from the life of david well, well david after being confronted with his sin wrote a psalm and it's psalm 51 and uh, it is probably one of the most famous psalms in all of scripture But this is David's response when he is called out for his sin. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. My sin is always right there in front of me. And against you and you only have I sinned and I've done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. For surely I was sinful even at my birth, sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the innermost parts and you teach me wisdom in the innermost place. So cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. For, for let me hear joy and gladness and let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity and create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Remember? Remember Psalm 27? The, the, the deepest desire and joy of his life is to be in the presence of God. And then in the midst of his sin, he, write, he writes this, do not cast me out of your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of my salvation and your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. 
and then I will teach transgressors your ways, and the sinners will turn back to you. So save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would not bring it. And you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise these. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper and build up the walls of Jerusalem. And then there will be righteous sacrifices and whole burnt offerings to delight you. And then bulls will be offered up on your altar. You see, when David sins and then is confronted with his sins, he responds with quick confession to get right back on track. Because the truth is is that none of us will worship God perfectly. The allegiance of our heart, the desire of our heart may be perfectly aligned with God and and God has purified our heart and the grip of sin has has been replaced with the purity of his righteousness, but that doesn't mean that we'll always live perfectly. And yet, the teaching of the scripture is that if we love God, we'll obey him. And so in those moments when we mess up and we fall short, the mark of someone whose heart is, is close to God is someone who is quick to repent and then gets right back on track. And so I would encourage you, church, in your personal worship, to prioritize worship, to, to upon disobedience to God, get right back on track to what he wants to do in your life and to make worship a deepest, deepest priority of your life. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving.